This is The Shift Podcast. Hey, it's John. Thanks for checking out The Shift Weekend Podcast. On the show tonight, we talk with Danny Huntley, one of the hosts from the Broadcast Podcast, an all-female hockey podcast on her excitement for the upcoming season, but then a deeper conversation on the harassment that she and the other hosts of the Broadcast face on a daily basis. Why? Simply because they are women in hockey media. Plus, a further discussion with Brian Douglas, the creator of the 5AM project aimed at shining a spotlight on Canada's overnight workers who help keep the economy moving forward, a.k.a. you, the shift head. Now, before we go into any further hockey discussion, there's just one question, which is, have you heard of the Broadcast Podcast? This is a podcast featuring five women who love hockey, they watch the game, they have strong, well-informed opinions, and then they share it with the rest of the world through their podcasts. They are Samantha Chang, Georgia Twists, Vanessa Jang, there's no relation, uh, Mallory McFall, and Danny Huntley. Four of them based in Vancouver. Mallory lives in Kansas City. They are the broadcast. And while I would love to say that this show, this podcast, has been unanimously welcomed by hockey fans all over, The ugly truth is that while they have a lot of supporters, including me, including Jody Vance, they also deal with a shocking amount of vile hatred. Trolls that often attack their character, using the most vulgar language, sexually harassing them, and this is happening every day behind the scenes. I can't do justice the experiences that they go through, which is why I have invited Danny to join us on the show tonight to talk about that herself. Danny Huntley, welcome to The Shift. Thank you so much, and thanks for having me. Now, uh, before we get started, the Broadcast Podcast, which it's the best name I think any podcast could have come up with, uh, let us know just a little bit about the background information like who you guys are, or rather who you ladies are, and uh, what, what, what this podcast is uh, supposed to be about and what it ended up almost becoming, really. Yeah, so we're just a group of five girls. We met on Twitter, actually. We, when we started the podcast, we never met in person and didn't know <laughs> each other, which people don't really believe. But yeah, that's true. And yeah, we just, being on Twitter, there was nothing really no real like voice we could relate to we felt like and felt like it was important to have women speak up and especially in Vancouver and have our voices represented so that's kind of why we started it and once we did start it we kind of had Vanessa she uh, tweeted out a video like a promo video on our broadcast account and it kind of just took off and blew up from there. So we were kind of like, oh, God, we have to perform now because <laughs> there's so many eyes on us. And then um, we just kind of did our first episode. A lot of people listened. And and yeah, we, we were surprised how many people listen and keep listening as well. We kind of just thought we might have like 100 listeners or so, just like our own little like kind of connects Twitter girls thing. But <laughs> it's been a lot more than that. And we've been pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I mean, it definitely took off. Uh, as you say, uh, most of you are located in Vancouver, although not all of you are located in Vancouver. Actually, not all of you are even located in Canada, for that measure. So uh, this is supposed to be, uh, I think, originally like a Vancouver-based hockey podcast, but then it just started taking off because you realized this was so important, having this opportunity where uh, women could talk about hockey and talk about hockey really, really well. I mean, I worked in sports radio. 
And I can tell you, it's not always an easy way to just even get into the industry. But I, I, what I, what I re- really admire about uh, the Broadcast Podcast is that you understand that there isn't a lot of other shows like yours. And you want to not just make it known that, hey, we're doing this because we realize there is there was a vacuum and, and we wanted to fill that vacuum. But there's also other women out there who might have always been hockey fans, but maybe we're too intimidated to try and do anything like this because there just wasn't a precedent for this before. Or they were scared off because every time you turn on the TV, anytime you turn on the radio and an analyst comes on, 99% of the time, it's a man. And it's it's usually a white man. So there isn't always this feeling of diversity and, and uh, inclusiveness when it comes to hockey. Yeah, that's right. And that's one of the things we like we have at times have faced a lot of adversity from some of the male critics who just just want to are there just to criticize us. But hearing from a lot of the girls and women out there who listen to us and find us important, that's really what um, keeps us going. And we find it to be really rewarding that way. Now, I've had the pleasure of working with uh, some of some of the most incredible uh, women broadcasters at uh, 980 CKNW uh, across the Chorus Radio Network. And I know for a fact that somebody like Jody Vance is such a huge fan of the Broadcast Podcast. And she was so jealous when I uh, ended up ordering one of your merchandise sweaters. And Jody was like, where's mine? Where's mine? Where's mine? <laughs> so uh, I know you've got a ton of fans, not just across uh, the hockey sphere, but across the entire industry. So uh, keep on doing what you're doing. Now, hold that thought in terms of your experience with the podcast so far, because, uh, you know, a brand new hockey season is upon us. It's really the second full season uh, or even like a, a weird season that the broadcast is uh, finally going to be a part of. You're going to be uh, cataloging the season as the uh, as the year goes along here. So how excited are you that hockey's back? It's a weird condensed season. There's a whole Canadian division. It's COVID-19. It's really weird. But we got hockey back, Danny. That's got to feel good. It totally feels good. I'm so excited to watch hockey again. And having to watch it on back-to-back nights to kick the season off was such a reward. For us, I feel like because there's not much to do. Let's be honest, right now, you kind of just like go to work, go home, and maybe like Zoom with your friends or just like watch TV, do whatever. But having hockey back is just so nice, and it just is something to look forward to at the end of the day, too. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And uh, the other night, uh, actually last night, I couldn't even watch the second back-to-back Canucks game because I had a dentist appointment. So I've been I've been getting some heat on Twitter about that because. Uh, <laughs> They were like, "Why? Who does a 7 p.m. dentist appointment?" I don't know, man. I just—that's just kind of the way the cards fell. But uh, in terms of the season outlook here, uh, there's a lot of excitement because, at least here in Vancouver, the Canucks—they—they've uh, got a pretty young team. Uh, a lot of Toronto fans that are listening right now probably thinking, "Well, we got a pretty good young team," and then a lot of Oilers fans in Edmonton thinking, "Well, we got a pretty solid young team." So, if I asked you to gaze into your crystal ball and just sort of make a prediction. Which team do you think is really the one to watch out for in this uh, brand new Canadian division? Yeah, I think the Leafs will be a really tough team to play against. They have a lot of experience now. I know they do go out in the playoffs often in the first round, <laughs> but <laughs> but I do think they'll definitely finish first in the North division. And then after them, I feel like it kind of is just anybody's game from there. I think it'll really depend on who can stay healthy. And that will 
really help determine who's going to finish second, third. And that's not just like avoiding broken bones and things like that. That's like avoiding COVID-19, which is going to be a huge challenge. And we know teams like the Dallas Stars, they haven't done a great job of that just to even start the year. So I think you have a really great point about just staying healthy. Uh, If I asked you to go the other way and ask you to burn a Canadian city here and be like, which Canadian team is going to be the worst? Do we kind of already know which team is probably going to be the worst here? Yeah, I feel like it's going to be Ottawa. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. They do have some great young prospects and up and comers like Tim Stutzle and They'll, they'll be exciting to watch for sure, but I just think they will finish last again. It'll yeah. be another, yeah, rough year for the Suns fans. Oh, uh, don't feel too bad. I mean, Eugene Melnick knows exactly what he's getting into <laughs> every year, and, and Senators fans will tell you themselves, like, come on, Eugene, open up the wallet just a little bit, man. But uh, that's kind of the way that Ottawa goes. And, you know, I, I think you're right. Between Toronto, uh, predict, predicted to be one of the top teams in the Canadian division, and then the Senators, predicted to be one of the worst, it's really just anyone's guess in between. Uh, you could see Vancouver. You could see Calgary, Edmonton, Winnipeg, I think, deserves a, a special look. There's a bunch of ways the season could go into. So uh, I'm glad we at least got your predictions on number one and whichever team might finish last. Now, Danny, the conversation about what the experience has been like for the broadcast i wish that i could ask you about all of the um non-stop like positive feelings and, and positive messages of support that you've been getting from hockey fans but we know that's not entirely the case and i feel like doing what you're doing with the broadcast takes uh, a special level of mental health and resilience because of what you're hearing from haters all the time um Share with us just some of those really difficult experiences when you're dealing with uh, trolls and and sexist and sexual harassment and and things of all that nature. Yeah, it it was kind of shocking at first. Like I did expect some people to obviously go like have blowback and criticism towards us for sure. But I wasn't expecting the level or amount of trolls to come at us. Like we have people make fake accounts for us as our podcast account as people will be like us personally. And like I had, I tweeted something, someone didn't like it and they called my work line actually. Wow. Yeah. And that's never okay. Like you can disagree with me, unfollow me, block me, whatever you want on online. That's fine. But I feel like when you're crossing that line, that's never okay. And, and I do feel like at the time it really did like bother me that, and I did take a break off social media for my mental health. And I did feel like that was really important. But I do feel like it is more important to keep going and keep keep going out there for all the women and girls because it is important to have our voices heard despite having all of the trolls and the haters come at us like that. And I think it is important to shine a light on it as well and let people know this is happening so it happens to less people. I'm sorry that you go through these experiences, and I know you're not alone. The entire broadcast often deals with these messages and and harassment um, from cowards, and and that's really what it is. Because a lot of these accounts that are coming at you, they are anonymous in nature, right? It's people that hide behind faceless accounts. They don't share any details about who they are uh, personally, and, and so they have this free roam to just say the worst things that you know if they met you in person, they would never have the guts to say. Because, I mean, that's just, that, that, that would be a sociopath if anyone was able to do that. And honestly, they are sociopaths because they even do it on Twitter. So again, I'm so sorry that you deal with this. But, you know, when you hear um, 
like a hockey analyst or a sports radio host take criticism for the things they say, the difference between that and what you face is, first of all, chances are these people are men, but also they're paid to to get a little bit of hot uh, reactions from people. They, they're given benefits packages. They're given really nice salaries to deal with the crap that people throw at them online. Whereas again, and a reminder, the broadcast podcast is a passion project, uh, is a passion project. So this is something that you and the rest of the team do on a volunteer basis because you love the game. And it just sucks that what you love to do and this energy and this excitement you had for the podcast, it gets met with so much criticism from people that honestly have a lot of unfounded things to say. It's not even the fact that they think your takes are bad necessarily. It's simply the fact to me when I look at it from the outside, they just seem totally uncomfortable and unprepared that a bunch of women who are highly educated and follow the game as much as they do are all of a sudden getting more attention on social media with their hockey takes than they are. And then they feel like, oh, like what's wrong with me? And then they take it out on you. It just, it, it's, it's disgusting. And again, I'm so sorry that you have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah, thank you for saying that. Yeah, it, it has been rough, but like I have been getting used to it as like as crappy as that is to say. Mm-hmm. You never want to get used to that. But yeah, it's just something you just gotta I'm more aware of now. Um I don't like the first time like it kinda happened, I was more shocked and like taken back by, but now I'm more I feel like ready for the haters and just prepared to deal with it. And I do think it is important to take breaks and monitor your mental health to make sure that it's not getting out of hand. It's one of the pillars of our show is just always reinforcing the, uh, the importance of mental health awareness and uh, not just saving that conversation for one day out of the year, like some companies do, although it's a, it's a noble cause, but reminding people that, Hey, there's a lot of people out there right now that are still struggling with things right now. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that COVID-19, of course, being one of the biggest ones. And so, uh, you know, I appreciate you giving us some time here, Danny. And uh, uh, before we let you go, uh, and I'll remind people like this conversation, it's it's important, it's heavy, it's it's the ugly truth, what hockey fandom really looks like. But the broadcast is fun. And I think before we let you go, like, I, we got to plug again, just like what people can expect when they listen into an episode of the broadcast. It's not all like, analytics and numbers and heavy stats you guys have found this very important way of uh, digesting hockey information but doing it in a really really fun way and you implement like pop culture so just tell us like if you had never heard the broadcast podcast before what would be the one thing that you would want to tell people about it's a lot of fun if you love just sports and having fun basically that is the broadcast podcast we had actually uh Roman Yossi and Mark Broecki on and Roman Yossi himself said we are a lot of fun so (laughs) you guys should check that episode out definitely and listen to how fun we are he is the captain of the Nashville Predators one of the top defensemen in the game today so that's uh, that's solid endorsement right there I could say a thousand things and I still wouldn't get the same cachet as a Roman Yossi compliment so well done (laughs) well done and uh, Danny uh, thank you again for joining us Uh, this is the first time I've had a member of the Broadcast Podcast on the show and also the first time I've had a 49ers fan on the show. So (laughs) as a Seahawks fan, this was a difficult interview. Yes, uh, definitely. (laughs) But you did a lot better this season than we did, that's for sure. Uh, Fair enough. We'll see what happens next year, though. Danny, thanks so, so much for your time and best of luck with the podcast moving forward. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. This is The Shift Podcast.
But for now, let's get into this conversation. We've got a very special guest joining us now. Uh, for transparency, I will share this. Earlier this week, I was thinking about what are we going to talk about on the show tonight? And I was going through the internet, as I do, looking for topics, news stories, things that caught my eye. And I saw, saw this great article on Huffington Post Canada. It was written by Seema Shakari, And the headline reads... Inside the night shift, photos that show the thankless jobs that keep society running. And I knew almost right away this was going to be very interesting. And as I read more about this story, it detailed this project that was put together by a photographer named Brian Douglas, who's based out of Ontario. And like the title says, Brian's goal with the 5 a.m. project is to shine a light on the Nighthawks, the overnighters, basically everyone listening right now, and wanting to give you a chance to enjoy the spotlight. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome Brian Douglas onto the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really, I'm really excited for this conversation tonight yeah so you know as i was saying it's such a fascinating project because uh first of all i i do think you're absolutely dead on when you say it's mostly thankless and the people that work these overnight shifts probably understand that like when you first think about working uh, a particular line of work uh, or, or career and you think well i'm probably going to overnights you realize pretty quickly that uh, most of society just it doesn't compute for them because they work nine to fives they're in bed by nine or ten at uh, at night and uh, they're sound asleep when the rest of us are kind of operating and going through our work every night so what first of all uh made you curious about wanting to catalog with the the 5 a.m project yeah so so it kind of came out of another project I was working on. So I live in, in Kitchener-Waterloo in Ontario. Um, and when we first moved to the area, so that was about 10 years or so ago. My wife grew up in the area, but um, I, I live north of Toronto. Um, so when we got married, we moved back here. Um, we were living in an old loft um, and it was an old shoe factory, the Kaufman Shoe Factory. So the Kaufman Lofts. Um, and we were in the heart of kind of downtown Kitchener um surrounded everywhere i could look there were there was industrial factories that were sitting empty um and, and i I've, i was doing photography long before we moved but i was always interested in urban exploration so i started finding my way into some of these factory spaces um and sort of documenting the spaces knowing that many of them were set to be demolished or they were going to be kind of renovated and turned into kind of tech hubs um, so my, my goal at that point was let's document these spaces as they sit today mm -hmm. um, so that we have a little bit of a record of, of what these spaces were. Because Kitchener, like lots of people now, they think Kitchener, Waterloo, Tech and Google and, and all of that. Um, but what they don't realize is, is it was very much a heavy industry community. Um, and that's kind of what founded it. So I wanted to kind of document that. Um, so when, when you're in these giant factory spaces, I mean, it, there's, there's an eeriness to it in one sense, because you're just this small little person in this giant space. Um, but then, then I, I really started thinking about how busy these spaces would have been at one point in time. Um, I mean, we, it was, it was a time when people kind of, they got a job and they were there for their careers, like 20, 30, 40 years, right? So I was just thinking about those people, um, the hard work, the line work, just and just really starting to get really interested and fascinated about the stories that would have existed within the walls of those spaces. Um, but knowing I was, I was decades too late to capture those people. Um, 
so as that project was kind of wrapping up, factory spaces were kind of were dwindling. Um, I was talking to my wife because um, because work and industry became fascinating to me as as a focus for my photography. Um, saying I want to carry this pro, I, like I want to continue focusing on industry. I think it's really important. I, I, I don't think it's given enough appreciation. Um, and, and she said, "Well, what about night shift workers?" Mm. And as soon as it was out of her mouth. Um, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm in, I'm done. Uh, like, and I started, I started um, compiling a list of, of things that were just popping off the top of my head. Um, of, of where can I start? Who can I photograph? Who can I find? Um, and, and that's kind of how, how it developed from being in those empty spaces and curious and wondering about the people to, to finding a segment of the working industry that, is rarely if ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's it's really mind-boggling when you think about how things have changed and your 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 point about how uh that town has changed. I can relate to it because in Vancouver, um Gastown, I'm not sure if you've ever had the chance to visit, but Gastown is predominantly a very tourist-heavy area now. But if you go way back in the birth of Vancouver, uh, it was one of the first real settlements as they were working out of the port. And so Gastown has this really eclectic mix now of tourist shops, uh, tech startups like you were talking about. But also, if you walk just a few blocks further north towards the sea, then you get still heavy industry and still port workers there. So it's it's really a fascinating mix. So it's probably a story that a lot of people can relate with, whether you're in BC or Ontario, throughout the prairies, if you're in Alberta, there's always these parts of the province and parts of different cities that have seen this mis- mishmash of old tech and old industry and the new age things that are starting to take over and starting to take shape. But uh, I, I know that factories aren't the only sort of stories that you were cataloging with this 5am project. And it's, it's kind of fascinating just to see all the different kinds of uh, workers that uh, you kind of wanted to sort of catalog and, and just maybe get a glimpse into their story. So did you have a chance to speak with these people and directly and just sort of ask questions like, you know, when you do the things that you do, how do you do it all the time knowing that most of the country uh, just can't acknowledge what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. So, so when I, yeah, um, when I started the project, like before I even took the first picture or before I even sent out the first, you know, attempt to, to make contact with anybody, um, I kind of had a list of questions that I kind of developed in my mind that I, w- I that I wanted to ask um, in terms of what what is it that they do, um, how long have they done it, and and just what their general feelings and thoughts were on on the night shift. Like, did they like it? What was what was good about it? What was difficult about it? Because um, because yeah, that was what I was I was quite curious about. Um, and, and you're right, I. I've, I've documented about um, close to 40 people now. Mm. I was very, I was very specific, not just to focus on factories um, because I could have, I could have easily probably found 40 factories that had some sort of a night shift. Um, But I think when I, when I was kind of developing this project, I think that's kind of what people automatically assume when they think of night shift, they think factory workers, um, doing some sort of a line work. And yes, that is accurate in, in, in one respect, but there's so many other industries and so many other people working. Um, so I wanted to really honor and highlight as many different industries and different careers as I could. Um, 
So yeah, so everything from overnight bakers, 911 dispatch, um, dairy farmer, taxi driver. I went to sh- like a shelter worker, um, a brewer. That was a, that was a great one. Going to the brewery in the middle of the I night. I bet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, paramedics, uh, cookie factory. I did do some heavy industry. So you know, it was it was a nice eclectic mix for sure. Um, like a housekeeper at a at a you know, a retirement home. So yeah, a good eclectic mix. And, and, and that's just a few of them, right? So, um, and, and what the conversations kind of developed from that is, I think I realized people either loved it or hated it. Um, the people who seemed to, to really love it, um, they were the people who were straight nights. Um, they'd been doing it, some of them, I think 25, 30 years straight mm-hmm. nights. Uh, but people who seem to really struggle, and, and maybe some of your listeners can really um, relate to this, is the shift work, the, the when it switches. Right. You know, going from days to nights. Um, I had lots of conversations with people about how difficult that is just on their bodies, just to try and flip their sleep pattern back into, you know, the normal nine to five rhythm um, and then flip back to the night. Um just so hard on them and some of them again had been doing it for for years and years um and and they were also the ones who who tended to speak around how hard it was um in terms of kind of family and and social that because because the flip was so hard on them personally um it, it made it hard for them to truly engage at times um with their friends with their families and just to have a sense of normalcy in their life. Yeah, I mean, one of the pillars on our show is uh, being completely honest and transparent about uh, certain ways that people go through a lot of struggles in life. And we've talked at length about the importance of raising and continuing the conversation of mental health awareness. And I think that's such a big point that you're bringing up because when people choose, or maybe they don't always get to choose, but when you uh, do work overnight, uh, you often have to make sacrifices because, again, the bulk of society doesn't operate that way. So your point about maintaining a social life, that is very difficult to do. And it's often things that you have to let go. You don't see friends for months at a time. Uh, It's very difficult to see family, Um, maybe even during the holidays. And I know right now with COVID-19, everything's a little bit tough and it's a little strange for most of us, all of us. But for those that do work the overnight shifts, it's uh, it's never easy to just be like, hey, let's catch up. Uh, sure, are you free at 9 a.m.? Because that's when I'm off work and I'll be totally cool by then. It's just not feasible for a lot of people. But, uh, you know, your point about the shift workers, our producer, Leo, uh, faces that every single week because he works the overnight shifts on weekends. And then starting on Monday... Uh, he tries to wake up at 9 a.m. And, and have like a pretty normal day so that he can try and cooperate. But imagine that, that balance every week when half of your days are just spent uh, trying to become a night owl. It's, it's, it's very tough on you, not just physically, emotionally, mentally, all of these things. So it's, it's really important to have this conversation. And uh, just to recap, if you're joining us, we're in conversation with Brian Douglas. He's a photographer based in, uh, in Ontario, and uh, we're talking about the 5 a.m. project uh, that he's been cataloging here. So uh, one of the things that I was, was so curious about is that, first of all, these are amazing photos that you did capture. I imagine that it would have been pretty interesting for you as a photographer to look through the lens and see whether it's 
you know, at a hospital or uh, a, a night, uh, uh, sorry, when you're at the um, at a busy intersection, what's supposed to be a busy intersection, late at night, there's no cars there. When you're at a factory and you're you're on the line, which you would imagine was busy at some point, but it's completely silent and eerie. What was that experience for you trying to just capture that moment? Was it difficult or maybe easier than you thought it would be? I think the, the most difficult piece for me for the project, and, and I mean, it got easier as as I met more and more individuals was was the portrait um because because the other thing that i think people who have seen the project um or who i've talked to about it they don't realize that all of the individuals that that i had the the opportunity to to photograph they were also still working so i had at times maybe 15 20 minutes mm. of dedicated time with that individual um and I've I've never claimed to be a portrait photographer. This project was my first venture in portraits. Um, like I hadn't shot a portrait from since like grade ten high school, so it was like decades since I actually shot a portrait. Um, but we have to build a little bit of a connection and a rapport with a person to make them feel comfortable to take their picture. Um, so that was the most difficult part was just quickly establishing a connection, trying to again explain to them what my goal and why i was even there right um because because some of the people are like why are you doing this like mm -hmm. why are you showing up here at like five in the morning because i often went I, I always went during the overnight shift um often around the 5 a.m mark um and and so lots of them are just curious as to why i wanted to do it um but yeah so the portrait piece was hard just in, from a time standpoint and again establishing that quick connection and that rapport um, but but the setting shots that I paired with them those those are fairly easy because it because you're right like the the intersections are empty or the lines are much quieter um, the halls are empty so you, you can really like easily get a sense of what it felt like in those spaces in, in those moments um, and I've got lots of that feedback from people like I kind of really get a feel looking at your images of, around what it must have felt like to be there at that point in time and at that hour of the morning. Welcome back to The Shift. We are continuing our conversation here with Brian Douglas, a photographer from the Kitchener-Waterloo area of Ontario, and what he worked on over the past number of uh, weeks and months called the 5AM Project, where he's cataloging the overnight workers of Canada. And the fact that, hey, you probably listening right now understand overnight workers don't get a lot of love from everyday society. And it's important to note the incredible work that all of you do in keeping the Canadian economy moving forward when the rest of the world is sound asleep in bed. So continuing that conversation here with Brian Douglas. Uh, I'd be remiss if I uh, didn't just make a happy suggestion because uh, a bulk of our listeners, uh, regular listeners and contributors who call in or text the show are truckers and they're all over the country. And uh, as you would imagine, you know, their work hours are pretty demanding. Uh, often, you know, they're working straight through the night trying to make uh, their, their destination as quickly as possible. And so uh, on behalf of all the truckers that listen to the show, um, you know, I'm sure they're in their cars listening right now thinking, you got to speak with a trucker. You got to speak with a trucker and take a shot of our big rigs and we'll be happy to share you our stories. But I, I suppose as you were talking about, like trying to build connections with the individuals that you um, want to sort of catalog for this project, 
it's not easy to just like cold call people out of the blue and be like, hey, I just want to drop in for a, a little bit during your shift and just sort of take a photo and get to know you a little bit. Uh, was there one story in particular or one individual who really just resonated with you? What, what experiences they had to share? They're all so different. Um, I, I think the, and I mean, all of them were cold calls. Yeah. and that's not easy that's that's a that's no, a tough thing to do all of these were were cold i think only a couple ended up happening just as the project expanded people kind of made a, a few links on my behalf um I, I think the one story that really stands out to me was doug so he was the brewer um he he, he was at that time i think it was 19 years he he had been brewing overnight shift and what I loved about Doug was, um, so I, I arranged his portrait through his managers. Um, so I went through like the corporate, so um, office, and, and they, they said, you know what, Doug would be a perfect person. He's been here for, for decades. Um, he knows his stuff. He, he'd, he'd make a good portrait uh, and a good representation of our company. Um, so we, we got that all arranged. We were good to go. Uh, and then they forgot to tell Doug. Really? <laughs> yeah. So, so I show up, I think it was like three or four in the morning. I show up, um, I'm walking around the brewery. Nobody's opening doors. Everything's kind of locked up. I'm, I, I got my kind of my backpack, my tripod, um, like what's going on. I finally find a door that's kind of propped open. Um, probably where, where kind of they he kind of sneaks out every now and then to get some fresh air. So it's open. So I'm like, all right, well, Doug knows I'm supposed to be coming. I'm just mm-hmm. going to let myself in. Um, so I, I let myself into the brewery, um, wandering around the, the, the floor. I have no idea where I'm going because I've never been in this space before. Like I'd been to the brewery before to buy beer, um, but that's not the production side. <laughs> um, and, and so, yeah, so I'm just wandering around kind of the basement area. And, and then all of a sudden, kind of out of the shadows, I see this guy. So, so I just kind of make myself known like, Hey, Doug. Um, and, and he's just kind of like deer in headlight moment, like, who are you and why are you in my brewery right now? <laughs> um, but um, he, he was super gracious and he kind of just hopped right on and, and just kind of got into it. Um, he, and he resonated with me because, again, he was one of those straight night guys. And he just said, as an individual, um, he, he liked the quiet. Hmm. He, he liked the, the he liked the opportunity just to to do to be to be in his head just to do his thing, um, and, and not to have to worry about the hustle and the bustle of of what tends to go on during the day. Like managers aren't there, other employees aren't there. There aren't customers in and out of the the shop side of things. It was just kind of him. There was one other guy that he worked with, and they just did their thing. He just made beer and he was completely happy and content. And that really resonated with me. And it made sense, right? Um, why some people find that um, the night shift works for them. Mm-hmm. It, it just fits their personality. Um, and, and you and you speak, you spoke a little bit to the mental health piece, right? And I think he, he had the opportunity to make that choice, right? And then that worked for his well-being and it worked for his mental health. Whereas he knew as a person it wouldn't be as easy for him the day shift because there were so many other factors that for whatever reason in his, in his world and, and as of his story, that night, that nights worked for him. Right. So, so that really stood out for me um, as, as just one example of, 
why nights worked. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I do talk about the, the challenges of working nights, but if it works and it seems to click and uh, your, your life uh, actually maybe benefits from, from working the night shift, uh, that's what keeps you in it, right? And that's what uh, makes you think, okay, you know what? It's not really the worst thing in the world. When I go grocery shopping late at night, you know, I don't need to worry about it. there being too busy lineups or anything like that. So I think it, it makes a lot of sense why there are certain advantages for people that are uh, looking to work uh, or end up working the overnight shift. Now, um, one thing that you wanted to let people know about is that you're not truly finished with this project because there's one particular uh, job that you're looking to catalog. I'm not sure if you said this in jest, but I, I, I started thinking, like, do I know anyone who's a worm picker? Because that's one thing that you would apparently be so fascinated to try and catalog for this project. Yeah, so yeah, so there's still a, a few on my list of, of kind of jobs that I want to get. Trucker is 100% on my list. And interestingly, interestingly enough, um, I've only had a few no's over the course of the time I've been doing that. And, and so far, uh, the companies that I've approached for trucking have said no, hmm. um, which was interesting to me. So um, part of me, I think I'm just going to have to find personally a trucker um, as opposed to going through a corporate office. Um, and, and that's just the nature of the beast sometimes. Right. Um, but yeah. So but a worm picker, I've, like I said, I've, I've told my wife that if I found a worm picker, I could probably happily package 5 a.m. up. Um, you know, I've always thought of it maybe putting into a book or something, but and, but I could I could package it up nicely and, and walk away and, and feel satisfied. <laughs> um, yeah, worm picking, it's it just like I have the image in my head. I, I see it in my, I see it when I think about it. Just, you know, there are these people out there, you know, I mean, it's, it's more of a spring summer type of uh, seasonal employment, mm -hmm. um, but with the headlamps, you know, their, their can or their bucket um, and they're just in farmer's fields, just scanning the ground. And I just, yeah. So I see this portrait of mainly just light shining down a person's face with kind of more, almost silhouetted in the background um, and I would be fascinated to spend some time with a worm picker, um, and to capture their portrait. Cause again, like what, when I was, when, when I was talking to Huffington post, um, like she was like, I've never even heard of a worm picker. <laughs> and, and, and then she's like, but it makes total sense. Mm -hmm. So, and again, I think that was part of, again, what this project for me was about again, like there's so many, you know, industries and so many employment types that that we're not even aware of. Um, and, and so, and that fascinates, fascinates me too. Right. Um, but yeah, worm picker, if anybody out there in Ontario is a worm picker or the comp owns a worm picking company, like <laughs> reach out. Cause I, I will travel outside of Waterloo to, to take your portrait. <laughs> this is something that, uh, he, you're serious about. So if, like he said, if you're a worm picker, you got to get in touch. Now on that note, uh, what is the best way for people that are listening to try and check out the 5am project, plug in your social media and, uh, any links that you got to share here? Yeah. So you can check it out on my, I mean, uh, right now Huffington post has a, has a selection and you can just Google Brian Douglas 5am project, um, or, or board Panda has a, a larger collection too. Again, Brian Douglas board Panda. Um, if you go to at Brian R Douglas, so there's, don't forget the R in there on Instagram, um, you'll see a link in my bio that will lead you to a, a collection to another Instagram account with just some of the 5am pieces. 
um, or bdouglasphotography.com um, is my website. And again, it's got a collection of the um, portraits on my website too. Um, and and I'm, I haven't uploaded all of them. Um, so there are still some more to, to show up online. So stay tuned for some more portraits um, in the near future. Looking forward to it. And Brian, if you ever end up making that book, just to sort of final the, finalize the project, more than happy to get you back on as the official author of the 5AM project. So I uh, really want to thank you for your time here tonight. And uh, it's been a fascinating thing to just be looking through all the photos and all the stories. And on behalf of the listeners of The Shift, who are exactly that audience that you're connecting with, uh, with the 5AM project, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And, and thank you to everybody out there right now who's listening, who's at work, who's doing doing really important work to keep the fabric of our society going. Um, you are taken for granted. The work you do isn't always glamorous, but but I, I truly personally appreciate everything you guys are doing. Um, and, and I hope this project, if you if you do get a chance to see it, that you that you get you get that I'm honoring you in this project in some way, shape, or form. It's the Shift Podcast. Let's get into it. It's time to learn Portuguese. Hola, Shift heads. It's time to learn Portuguese with Leonardo. Ooh. Ah, lovely song. All right, so here we go. Teacher Leo ready to go, and it's another uh, episode of Learning Portuguese with Leo. We've gotten some uh, requests from our listeners, so maybe we'll go to the requests first, because that's more important, Leo. What do you think? Yeah, you gotta, you know, gotta please those who are supporting us at this time. All right, from Jim. Jim wants to know how you say, quote, Hey, I don't speak Spanish, I'm from Brazil, which is a fair point. Brazilians speak Portuguese, which is why we're doing they this. They do, and because they're surrounded by several Span the Spanish-speaking world in Latin America, uh, most people don't know. I, I've many times, especially when I go when I go down the U.S., <laughs> they said they don't have enough. Like most of them, don't have a lot of knowledge about geographics. I right. say I'm from Brazil, and they start talking Spanish with me, and I respond in Spanish to them because I like talking Spanish as well. But yes. It is a problem. So, to translate Jim's request, uh, hey, I don't speak Spanish, I'm from Brazil, you would say, hey, eu não falo espanhol, sou do Brasil. Slow it down, slow it down, slow okay. it down. So, A is still a. pretty much the same, A. a. Eu não falo espanhol. Eu não falo. Eu. Eu. Não falo. Eu não falo. Espanhol. Espanhol. Sou do Brasil. Sou do Brasil. Yeah, that's... Hey, you now follow Espanol, so do Brazil. Yeah. Okay, all right. There, yeah. I, I, I like that's that. Uh, we got this request from Catherine saying, keep your stick on the ice. I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah, so... Mantenha, mantenha o seu taco no gelo. Mantenha o seu taco, o seu taco no, gelo. no gelo. Taco is a stick. Taco is stick? Yes. I love that. Yeah, that's a Taco Tuesday, right? So, <laughs> taco is stick. In and Portuguese. the spelling is the same, taco. Yes. It just has a very different meaning. Yes. Uh, taco is a stick. It's taco. Uh, ice is gelo. And uh, the, uh, the verb keep is uh, mantenha. Mantilla. Okay. okay. All right. We're learning here from this. All right. Now, Ian had a reverse request where <laughs> yeah. he sent in a sentence entirely in Portuguese and he wants you to translate it. Oh, I'm not yeah. even going to try to pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, 
Actually, actually, he sent us sent us. He's he requesting in Spanish. Actually, oh, that's Spanish. Yeah, he, well, which is not a problem. He's requesting Spanish for me too. So he says, "Yo quiero llamar a tu amigo Leo porque él es inteligente." So this is as Spanish, which means in English. By the way, he's requesting for me. He's saying. I want to call your friend Leo because he is intelligent. Oh, that's uh, so. Okay, so I just he wrote in Spanish. I just translated to English. Now translating this to Portuguese. So here we go. Uh, so eu so eu quero chamar eu quero chamar o eu seu quero chamar eu quero chamar o uh, seu amigo Leo. Senhor, your seu amigo Leo, porque ele é inteligente. Oh, okay, I'm not even. I'm not <laughs> even. Try. Yeah, I too can't. Too many languages. Too many. Too many. All right. Uh, if you got more requests, keep them coming. Eight seven seven three nine nine ninety eight ninety eight. Learning some Portuguese here with our uh, Brazilian Canadian technical producer Leonardo Cuello. Now I've got some here that I already wanted to learn. So let's get into this one. I think it's a little easier. Sorry for the delay. Uh, desculpe pelo atraso. Desculpe pelo Atraso. Yes, this, disculpe pelo atraso. Disculpe pelo atraso. Sorry go. for the delay. And that, of course, is in conjunction with the fact that the Pfizer vaccine is going to be delayed, which isn't the best news, but we're trying to at least find a silver lining and maybe learn Portuguese out of it. Welcome to Canada. Bem-vindo ao Canada. Bem-vindo ao Canada. Yeah, so Canada, there's a tricky thing because uh, in English, the stress syllable is can- Canada. Mm-hmm. Now in Portuguese, when you say Canada, the stress syllable is da. So it's Canada. Canada. Yes. All right, I like that. Bem-vindo ao Canada. Canada. And go. last, please vote. Vote, por favor. Vote, por favor. And we bring this up because an election has been called in Newfoundland and Labrador for next month. So that's coming. And you're about to get into the whole election process in the Maritimes. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.